Good morning. Let's get straight to markets. Take a look at the impact for the indices. Factual. Succinct. All you need to know before your trading day starts. Subscribe to our newsletter, CNBC's Daily Open. Beyond the Valley. Hello, and welcome to our latest episode of CNBC's Beyond the Valley. I'm Elizabeth Schulze in London. Today, we'll look at how Huawei has managed a very tough year. And we'll talk about what's next for the Chinese tech giant. U.S. companies are anxiously awaiting the Trump administration's decision on Huawei. Huawei has, of course, been a notable casualty of the U.S.-China trade war, but that's not dampening its 5G ambitions. Huawei has released fresh details on its new operating system. The Chinese company hopes the software will be an effective replacement for Google's Android. So as you heard there, it's hard to think of a single company that's been in the headlines more this year than Huawei. Today, I'm joined by two of my colleagues who've been the reporters behind many of those headlines. Arjun Karpal in China. How's it going, Arjun? It's all good here, Elizabeth. I'm actually in uh, Beijing, taking a short break from Guangzhou, of course, uh, in Beijing for a, for a tech conference. The tech world never sleeps. And Saheli Roy Chowdhury in Singapore. How are you, Saheli? I'm good, Elizabeth. And, you know, as we just heard from the sound bites there, Huawei's had quite the year, hasn't it? That's right. I mean, if you're unfamiliar with this Chinese company, let's give you just a quick rundown for the listeners out there. It's the biggest telecoms equipment maker in the world. It's the second biggest smartphone maker globally, just behind Samsung. But it's also been caught up in the U.S.-China trade war, leading to a pretty rough year so far for the company. Saheli, help us recap. Sure, I'll break down some of the big issues that Huawei is facing. It's been a tough time for them. It started when some countries like Japan and Australia blocked Huawei from participating in building their 5G networks. Then, last December, Huawei CFO Meng Wanzhou was arrested in Vancouver and now she faces extradition to the U.S. The U.S. is accusing her and Huawei of committing bank fraud and wire fraud, which they say was in violation of sanctions on Iran. Huawei denies those allegations. But more recently, Huawei was thrown on a blacklist in the U.S. called the Entity List. What it does is it makes it harder for Huawei to buy technology from American companies. That's a pretty big deal because Huawei relies a lot on U.S. tech and software to do business. So all in all, not really a good year for them. Sounds like it. Arjun, you've been covering this story extremely closely on the ground in China. So lay out for us exactly what the U.S. is worried about here. Well, like the, the American government is concerned that Huawei's telecoms gear could be used as a backdoor by the Chinese government to carry out espionage on U.S. citizens. They feel Huawei is tied too closely to Beijing. And they're also concerned about laws in China that appear anyway to compel any company in China to hand over data to the government if requested. Now, I remember at the start of the year, Huawei went on a charm offensive, a PR offensive. They've been typically quite a closed company over the past few years, but they invited select media, including myself, to sit down with Run Jung Fei, the CEO and founder of the company. It was the first time he'd spoken to international media in a while, and he, he, he resolutely said that he would not ever hand over any data to Beijing if it was requested. And he essentially said that if he did that, his business would be finished. It was certainly an interesting time. It was when Huawei started to fight back against all of the allegations uh, against it. Give us a sense of what the mood's like in China towards Huawei and also within the company itself. 
Well, you certainly get a bit of this uh, nationalistic feeling toward Huawei as this national technology champion in China. That's the kind of feeling I've got um, being in China and speaking to people here, thinking about buying the next phone, uh, for example. But let me just talk a little bit also about my conversation with Ren Zhengfei and the mood at Huawei. Ren Zhengfei is interesting and until early this year was a bit of a mysterious figure. He wasn't often seen at public events and he didn't really do too much media. He had this kind of Steve Jobs air in China but not around the world so he was relatively unknown I'd say in, in, in other countries outside of China but a huge uh, kind of celebrity almost in China. I remember posting some pictures of my interview with him on my WeChat account and then someone in my hair salon was was so amazed that I'd been able to speak to uh, Mr. Ren and they praised him a lot. And so that's the kind of standing he has in China. We spoke for about an hour and, and 20 minutes about everything from his daughter's arrest to President Donald Trump. But throughout it all, he was resolute and that seems to have rubbed off on the entire company. During that interview, he actually, um, there was this interesting moment, he showed me this picture of a damaged but still airborne World War II Soviet aircraft and he used this essentially as a metaphor for his daughter at the time. This particular bomber had made it back to base and he said that Meng Guangzhou will be a hero if she does the same. A few months later I went back to the Shenzhen campus and this image was displayed on a TV on one of the uh, canteen areas there. Ren Zhengfei is actually well known for using military imagery and language when addressing employees or speaking to the press. So that's the kind of mood he's trying to create in the camp, one of survival. Now, I just want to play you a little moment uh, from the interview in which we talk a little bit about those US allegations against the company and how, the com and, and how Huawei, how uh, Ren Zhengfei uh, has been trying to fight against those. Some governments have criticized the relationship between Huawei and the Chinese government. Uh, there's also been um, questions about your past uh, as a Communist Party member and, and what that means for Huawei. And also some countries have also said that Huawei could be a risk because it could work with the Chinese government uh, and carry out espionage on behalf of Beijing. How do you respond to some of these very, very strong criticisms from governments around the world? Good, yeah. Huawei is based in China. So firstly, we must abide by Chinese laws and regulations. Secondly, we need to pay taxes to the Chinese government. Our relationship with the Chinese government is primarily defined by these two points. Our subsidiaries in other countries also have this relationship with local governments. They also need to follow local laws and regulations and pay local taxes. If we didn't pay taxes or follow the laws and regulations in the over 170 countries where we operate, we wouldn't have survived in those countries. You mentioned you abide by local laws here in China. There are critics who point to certain national intelligence laws in China that compel Chinese companies to help the government with national intelligence work if they're asked. If the Chinese government or any other government asked you to hand over data, how would you react? Mr. Yang Jiechi, a member of the political bureau of the Communist Party of China's Central Committee, made a statement at the Munich Security Conference that the Chinese government always requires Chinese firms to abide by international rules and laws and regulations of the country where they operate, and that China has no law requiring companies to install back doors or collect foreign intelligence. 
Even if we were ordered to, Huawei would still not install back doors. And Mr. Ren, you talk a lot about the distance between Huawei and the Chinese government. But what we've seen publicly is senior officials in the government talking at times on Huawei's behalf. Is that useful to the company or do you find that a distraction? First, it's understandable that government leaders would take pride in the great companies of their country. Second, Huawei is being stuck in an extremely difficult situation. The U.S. is launching intense attacks against us. If the U.S. government speaks ill of Huawei, why couldn't the Chinese government speak in our favor? That creates a kind of balance. In the past, no one spoke up for us. Right now, the support of the Chinese government may not necessarily help our sales, but when the U.S. government criticizes us, it tells the world how great Huawei is. Over the past century, which countries and companies have made the U.S. scared? The U.S. hasn't been scared of anyone or anything, though. For such a powerful country to be scared of a small company like us, some other countries are saying, your products are so good that the U.S. government is scared. We won't test your products. We'll buy them directly. So, so would you say the U.S. is scared of Huawei? If they aren't scared of us, why are they advertising for us everywhere they go? <laughs> Do you feel that Huawei is a pawn in the broader U.S.-China trade war that's going on at the moment? I don't know what the U.S. is after and have no idea how they are going to resolve the trade disputes. But I don't think Huawei can help solve the disputes between the U.S. and China. If we get caught in the middle, we will be crushed like a watermelon when these two powers clash. We don't have much influence over China-U.S. trade relations. Second, we don't really sell in the U.S. market so we will not be affected by a sales ban. And I guess from a practical perspective, you've got Huawei trying to wean itself off of American technology. It has developed some core pieces of technology, including processors for its smartphones, a 5G modem, now AI chips, and maybe the most high-profile launch was its own operating system, Harmony OS. Huawei said this was an operating system that would work across a number of devices and launched it first on a TV. Yeah, I'll be interested to see how this plays out. Now, a big challenge for Huawei is getting developers on board to build apps on their platform. Look at Google and Apple iOS, for example. The reason why Android and iOS are so successful is because of the sheer number of apps that are available on them. There is practically an app for everything today. But other operating systems like, say, the Windows, for example, they fell behind because they couldn't get enough people to come on board and build apps on their systems. Well, that is certainly crucial, Saheli. One other thing to make clear here as well is what Huawei's ambitions are with this operating system. I've had numerous conversations with Richard Yu. He's the CEO of Huawei's consumer division about this particular operating system. And each time, he's emphasized that the company will only switch its smartphones over to Harmony OS 
if it can no longer get access to Google's Android. And of course, as we've been uh, speaking about, as we've mentioned, Huawei is on this US blacklist. Currently, it has a reprieve a certain amount of time, so it still has access to Google's software. But we're not quite sure what is going to happen when the reprieve ends. That's the big question. Now, in China, Huawei uses a modified version of Android, but because Google services are blocked in China anyway, like Gmail or Maps, Huawei loads on its own apps and people use other um, apps that are available in China. So actually switching to Harmony OS in China might not have a big impact on the company. However, internationally is where they can run into problems. If you buy a Huawei phone in the UK or Singapore, for example, then you will have it loaded with Google Apps. And if Huawei launches its own OS there, then that could be problematic. Consumers might not like the experience. Uh, they'll be used to the Google experience and the Google ecosystem of, of apps and, and the software. And that could turn them off to the new OS and ultimately a new Huawei phone. Huawei's consumer business is now its largest division by revenues. And so any impact there could have a big impact on the overall company. Great points, Arjun. What's also very interesting is how Huawei is perceived globally and what this all means for the company's future. We'll get more on that right after this very quick message. A CNBC signature event. East Tech West, CNBC's exclusive invitation-only retreat returns to Nansha, Guangzhou, China in 2019. We explore all things tech from artificial intelligence to 5G. Join the world's most prolific investors, inventors, and entrepreneurs as they share their stories and celebrate innovation. Visit EastTechWest.com for an application to attend. So as we mentioned earlier, in terms of 5G networking equipment, the company is effectively blocked right now in some countries like the US, Australia, and Japan. Here in the UK, the government is still deciding what to do with Huawei, whether to let them continue to participate in the 5G rollout. And there's been this narrative that the US is trying to pressure its allies to block Huawei from their networks. This is something we have talked about before on Beyond the Valley and on CNBC in general. The trade war is more than just about trade. It's really about technological supremacy. Who's going to dominate the 5G landscape? Huawei is one of the leading tech names in the race to build up 5G infrastructure. There's a sense here that Huawei represents China's broader ambition in 5G. China could establish a significant global footprint in 5G and its effects could be felt across many different industries. So a lot of people seem to be thinking that the US is trying to halt that by blocking Huawei. But my question is, what's the end game here? And that really is the million dollar question here. On the surface, it looks like some mixed messages have come out of the Trump administration. And I wanna bring it back to this US-China trade war. President Trump seems to be at odds with what his administration is saying. Earlier in the year, he said that he could see Huawei possibly being part of a trade deal with China. He then came out a few months later and said, well, he doesn't want any business with Huawei at all. So it looks like he views Huawei as having some sort of role to play in the trade negotiations. However, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has come out and said that Huawei is not a bargaining chip. So that has muddied the water somewhat. If we are to take what the president says at face value and, and that his administration believes Huawei is a national security threat, then it's not far-fetched to think Huawei will be shut out completely from American networks. But then, 
On the other hand, there are American firms, particularly in the semiconductor industry, that still rely on Huawei for a large portion of revenue. Actually, Qualcomm, which is one of Huawei's suppliers, blamed the restrictions on Huawei for its recent weaker-than-expected financial results for the June quarter. So you could see some of these companies perhaps pushing the government for a bit more of a relaxed treatment of Huawei, but exactly how it ends is hard to say. Yeah, there's no doubt the market will be watching trade negotiations for any clues here, but let's also look at how Huawei has held up as well. In the first half of 2019, revenue was up over 23% year-on-year. And more recently, one of the company's top executives, Eric Xu, said the results for the year wouldn't be as bad as they'd first feared. So it seems Huawei is mitigating some of the impact of the recent pressure. What do you think has been key there, Arjun? Well, Huawei's certainly been focusing on China a lot more. So in terms of smartphones, they hit a record quarterly shipment number for smartphones in China in the second quarter. That has helped. As I mentioned, they're getting a lot of support in China. And another catalyst for the company could be China's 5G rollout plan. The country is going to be rolling out 5G networks in 2019 and through 2020 as well. And Huawei is going to be a huge part of that. And it's trying to push further into other markets like Latin America as well. So there are some bright spots, even if the U.S. tensions continue. I get the impression that this whole episode with the U.S. has forced Huawei to look inwards and focus more on its core technologies, such as chipsets. They're still launching new products and doing everything they can to bring their tech to the market. But Ren Zhengfei recently said in a company memo that Huawei is facing a life or death crisis. Arjun, you got your hands on that memo. What did it say? Well, it's, it's quite practical, actually. He talked of getting rid of repetitive roles, relocating managers to other positions required, upping spend on production equipment as well so they can fulfill customer demands. That whole idea of looking inward and buckling down on its own core tech is something I expect to continue. Uh, it's about still bringing products to the market. But secondly, Huawei also wants to send a message to the market that it's still able to be innovative and ultimately survive. And I mentioned, of course, earlier, Run Fei, the founder of Huawei, very fond of using military language, and he called it his battle strategy. So there's a lot of uh, fighting talk from the company still coming out now. Arjun, fascinating insight there on that language and in the Huawei story overall. We're looking forward to more of your reporting on that and to seeing how this all plays out. Get involved in the conversation. I'm on Twitter at eSholzy9. And I'm on at Arjun Karpul. And I'm at Saheli RC. Great stuff, guys. Well, that'll do it for this episode of Beyond the Valley, but you can download lots more podcasts. You can also sign up for our daily newsletter at Beyond the Valley to get global tech news every day straight into your inbox. That's all on cnbc.com forward slash beyond the valley. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Beyond the Valley.